Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. So this morning we are continuing with our series that we started last week. Pastor Hilma preached on the priceless pursuit and the pursuit of Jesus. I was on the campus ministering to the campus students and what God is doing on the UNAM campus over there. And uh, this week we are continuing with the priceless pursuit and the pursuit of the one, the pursuit of the lost. And the call to discipleship is a call to pursue Jesus in following him. It is a call to fish for men and it is a call that brings you into fellowship with other believers. Christianity is not about church attendance. Tell your neighbor, Christianity is not about sitting in that chair. It's about following Jesus. It's about seeking after the lost. And it is about joining in fellowship. And that fellowship is not just a party or a social. Many Christians have this idea that fellowship means social. We are going to fellowship together. It means there will be some bread, some, some food, some cold drinks, some meat, some rye in Namibia. And that is not the understanding of fellowship. Fellowship means association, co-ownership, joint, joint ownership, joint, joint exchange of everything, almost like a partnership coming close to marriage. And the Word of God says that our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, and we join in that fellowship, that association with the body of Christ. And this morning, we are taking on the next part, which is the priceless pursuit of the one. Now, how many of you understand that Jesus Christ died for you personally? When He laid down His life on the cross... He wasn't doing it only because there was enough of a, of a quota that merited his sacrifice. We need at least 100,000 to be willing. No, no. If there was one willing, Jesus would have laid down his life. Amen? If you were the only one, if you were the only one that was available for God to save, Jesus would have laid down his life for you. This points you to the value of your soul. The value of your soul. The importance of understanding that God created you not for destruction. God created you so that you could be with him. But there was a casualty because of the sin of Adam and Eve that cursed the whole human race. And God has been in a redemption agenda from the beginning to bring sons and daughters back to the Father's house. And it is so that when you understand and experience salvation yourself, only then will you want it for others. Until then, you will not think that others need it. Most of the time, we don't reach out to friends and family with the good news of the gospel because we see the gospel as a burden to their fun life. I don't want to interfere with their happiness. Then you don't understand the joy of salvation. You can only give what you have. And so this morning, I'm hoping to paint you a picture, make you understand what it is that we've received in salvation, 
how it is that God pursues the sinner, how it is that God brings them from darkness into light and into the place that God destined them for. And God wants to use every single one of us as part of his messengers out in the nations. I'm so encouraged by the testimony that came forth this morning, right? These guys are not pastors and they're not evangelists and apostles and all of that. They have a day job. Germa there, quote-unquote Pastor Germa, a.k.a. <laughs> he is an IT guy, right? Ernest, what do you do? Are you self-employed? Entrepreneur? He's an entrepreneur. Some of you, you say, no, I'm not a pastor, therefore I don't know how to lead others to the Lord. I don't know how to pursue the lost. I don't have an agenda. You have to make God's kingdom your priority. As I was preparing, I had a sense that there are people here this morning, you've been praying since the 21-day fast, and you've got your list of desires. And God is saying that you need to not focus on your own desires. Focus on praying concerning the things of the kingdom of God, because I already know what you need. And as you pursue the things of the kingdom of God, your heart begins to be conditioned to receive what I've already provided for you. In the kingdom of God, there's no begging for bread. What kind of father is God? Every need that you might have has been provided and made provision for in the gospel. The issue is we don't know how to receive because we are more acquainted with greed and selfish desire than we are acquainted with the things of the kingdom. Those who are on the mission of the kingdom always have their needs taken care of. Amen? And so if that's you, switch switch. So this morning, I hope that as we leave, we will have the priority of the kingdom of God in front. We'll have that prioritized. The question is, can a man live without God? Can your friend live without God? Can society exist without God? And what kind of life would that be? We've had the technological advancement that has enabled us to see that we are floating around in space. And many say that it was a cosmic accident. It's just by chance that we happen to be at the right distance from the sun, that we happen to be tilted at the right angle, and that we are rotating around the axis that was accidentally formed at just the right distance and speed. And there are all sorts of laws like gravity and physics that just came to being spontaneously out of nothing. We call it the Big Bang. We teach it in our schools. But the Word of God says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He set the whole thing up and he put mankind as regent and ruler of the earth. And what happened is that Satan who was always ambitious in taking the place of worship, he saw that he couldn't take God's place of honor, and so he decided to go for the place of authority, which is second to God, and that's on the earth, and he stole it from mankind. And mankind made a pact with Satan, and from that day they were severed and separated from God, and death began to reign. And many of us ask, where is God in this world? Why is there so much evil? In this world? Why is there so much disaster in this world? Why doesn't God just intervene and stop the whole thing? 
And we'll read through the scripture, realizing that there is a day that Jesus has set. There is a day that God has set when all men will give an account. All women will give an account for their life. And many of us might be trying to dampen that truth. I'm telling you, it's coming whether you like it or not. You are going to face a holy God. If you've asked, where is God? Why doesn't he show up so I can believe in him? He's coming. And so there is only one frame of reference to live from. And that is that God created the heavens and the earth. And that we, mankind, is accountable to God. And there is a day when all this evil will be sorted out. Someone asked, I was on campus last week, and they asked, well, why doesn't God just intervene and stop everything and deal with sin, deal with evil? The problem is, when God starts dealing with evil, he has to deal with it everywhere he may find it, including in this congregation this morning. Why doesn't God deal with those rapists and liars and murderers? Because one of them is you. Don't cry for urgency in judgment. Cry for mercy and patience. It is not because God is slow to act that Jesus has not yet come. But he is patient, not wanting any man to perish. But that all come to the knowledge of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And when every nation has a witness concerning the salvation that is through Jesus Christ, then the end will come. And it is our mission as a church. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. Most of the time, we only reference that when we're talking about uniting denominations. No, the body is supposed to execute the actions and desires of the head, who is Christ Jesus. If you are a part of the body, you will be involved in the work of Christ. If you are not a part of the body, then it is obvious why you are not involved in the work of Christ, why you have no desire for your neighbors and friends and, 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 and family to get saved, because you first need to get saved yourself. Tell your neighbor, love the lost. What is the value of a soul? Would any of you sell one of your eyes for a million dollars? Would you sell two of your eyes for two, two million dollars? Three million? Four million. Everyone has his price. <laughs> Six million? <laughs> Why? Because without your eyes, you are unable to perceive the life that you want to enjoy. But your eyes are only the windows to your soul. Your desire to not be blind comes from the fact that you, somebody inside, we don't see with our eyes. We see through our eyes. And if you look at your neighbor right now, you can see them through their eyes. We have so much value for our eyes, and yet we will despise the value of a soul. Is your soul worth gold? Is it worth silver? Is it worth all the pleasures that life may be able to give you? 
Is it worth all the accolades and the praises and Grammys and Oscars that men are able to give? The Word of God says in Mark 8.36, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his very soul? It doesn't matter whether you are CEO of the greatest five Fortune 500 company in the world. On that day, all your shares will come to zero. All your, your, all, all your gold and silver will mean nothing to you on that day. The only thing that will be of value will be your soul. And the value of the soul of those you love. And most of the time when we're making an invitation, come to Christ. Jesus is calling. He laid down his life so that you don't have to be condemned, but so that you can be saved through his life and resurrection. Come to Christ. Most people have a sense that, no, this is only relevant for after the grave. And many times in the churches, we have preached the Christianity that is most valuable after the grave. But I am here to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ has come so that you might have life and life in abundance. Life in abundance. 1 John 5 verse 11 says, and this is the testimony. This is the testimony of God. Right? If God is in a witness stand, this is what he would testify. He is saying, God has given us what? Eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life does not mean living forever. That is the result of life. Eternal life itself is the living essence that God has. This is what you are coming for. You are not just coming for immortality. You are coming for the kind of life that God has. So that when we are when we are sharing with friends and family about salvation, we are not just telling them that you need to exist for longer. How many of you know that those in hell will also live forever? What kind of life is that? Do you understand? Do they have eternal life? No. But they are existing forever. Why? Because of the immortality of the soul. Contrary to those who believe that once you die, everything disappears, no one knows where you go, you just vanish. It's a lie. It's a lie. And don't wait to make sure. We've had so many testimonies of people coming back from the other side and leaving their body on the table and realizing that there is a life beyond the grave. But the life of Christ is not supposed to start the day you die. Otherwise, your friend will say, come and preach to me when I'm very sick one day at the age of 95. After I've sinned my whole life and lived like the devil so that I can now take part of that insurance policy. Fire insurance. Amen? But God has called us to eternal life. It is a quality of the God life. The Bible says it's Zoe, Z-O-E, Zoe life, not just bios. Okay, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. This is why we preach Christ. 
all the other religions, they don't preach eternal life. They preach acquittal from judgment. Meaning, when God has to let you into heaven one day, that he'll find you to be good enough to get in. And tonight I'll deal a little bit more with the specifics of the different worldviews and cults and all of that. But you must understand that only in Christ is there someone saying that I am the way. All other religions will point to the way. Muhammad will be the last prophet saying he is pointing to the way. This is the way to God. The Dalai Lama will say he is, this is the way to enlightenment. Krishna will say this is the way to enlightenment. This is the way to life. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man, <laughs> no man comes to the Father except through me. And many of us, this is the issue. I remember when I was studying in Stellenbosch and being involved with church and all of that and reaching out to theology students. Why? Because they have a form of godliness. They have been handed down the religion of their parents, but they are the expert drinkers on the campus. Right? Religion cannot save. This is why whatever your parents handed down to you. No, this is our church, our family church. It's not about a church. It's about Jesus Christ. And the question is whether that church has the truth. Not whether you are part of that church or whether you were born in that church. In Namibia, it's a big thing. You try and preach the gospel to someone and they have this idea that they are saved because they grew up in the church of their parents. That is a misleading understanding. Amen? And so you must come to the point where you hear the gospel for yourself. Your friend, your family must come to the point where they hear the gospel for themselves and respond. Many times people have a view that, no, if God wants to save me, he will save me. I am here. Let him come and save me where I am. It does not work like that. The gospel comes to you and then God expects you to repent. The Bible says God commands men everywhere to repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn around. It means you are on the way to destruction. Now you turn around on the basis of the change of your mind because of what you have heard concerning Jesus Christ and the life that you have chosen. And when you repent, it says times of refreshing now begin to come. You cannot have a closed hand when you are coming to Christ. Why? You have to relinquish your life in order to receive another one. You cannot have two lives inside of you. It's either your life, you are the ruler and master of your life, or the life of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So therefore, this idea that Christianity is hard, Christianity is a burden. It's so hard. Sometimes you are moving forward in your walk with God. Then you are moving back. And it's up and down and up and down and up and down. 
you have not yet given up your life to Christ. And you can be in a church and enjoy the music. Praise God from whom all blessing flows. <laughs> Especially if the musicians are great, you even start crying. <laughs> and then the way you live the following week is a testimony that you have no relationship with God. This life is in the sun. He who has the sun has life, not will have. Has it. The day you come to Christ, the day you make him Lord of your life, life comes into you. This is what John said. And then he says, he who does not have the son does not have life. But he's alive. What kind of life is that? It's the, the normal, natural human life. He's talking about the, the life of God. And then he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, so that you may know. How many people have you asked, are you sure that you are going to heaven? And then they say, well, and it will usually be based on their assessment of how they're living. That person is not born again. That person is not a Christian in the orthodox sense, in the biblical sense. You can preach the gospel to them. The Bible speaks in the book of Luke, chapter 15, about three things that were lost. Please note down, go read it at home. The first one is about the lost sheep. Jesus tells the parable and he says that there's a, a man who has a hundred sheep. If he should lose one of them, what he will do as a shepherd, is he will leave the 99 sheep and go after that one sheep. And once he's gotten that one sheep, just by the way, how many of you, if you've got 100 sheep, you'll leave the 99 and go after the one? Not leave the 99 with another shepherd, leave them without a shepherd. No. Most of the time, we will say, ah, let, let that one go. At least I still have 99. It's good economics, right? Lest I go there, then when I come back, stock theft, like in Namibia. <laughs> it's a crime punishable by death or something like that. Okay? But God has this value concerning one soul. That friend of yours, that family member that you say, ah, that person is unsavable. That's the one that God wants. Amen? The next parable, he speaks about the lost coin. He said there was a woman, she had coins, and then she lost one of them. And what she did is she started to move the whole house upside down, cleaning the house until she found one coin. And then she set up a party and invited all her neighbors and said, come and celebrate with me because the coin that I lost, I found. That is so strange. If you found your coin, you just say, well, back in the piggy bank, and you move on with life. But you see, what God is trying to point here is the value of the one. You might think, no, but I haven't rescued the whole world. I'm not like Pastor Hilma or Pastor Chris who preaches to multitudes and are moving all around day and night in order to see that people are saved. I only reached out to one person. The Bible says in each of those passages that when one soul repents, the heavens rejoice. The heavens 
rejoice. More than the righteous that are sitting here feeling like, yeah, that other brother should have been in the service this morning. My goodness. Mm -mm. The heavens rejoice more about those who are coming in than those who are already here. And then the Bible speaks about the lost son. It says that the, there was a rich man who had two sons. One was older than the other. And it said that the younger son, who was supposed to be second in line for the inheritance, came to the father and said, I can't wait for you to die. Please, can I have my portion of the inheritance? That was an insult to a good father. And what did the father say? Many, many people who have a perception of God, they will say, no, the father said, no, hell no, and beat him. That's not how God is. <laughs> if you pull hard enough, God will say, give them what they want. The Bible said in the book of Romans that because they, they exchanged the life for the truth and did not glorify God and give him thanks, he gave them over. He gave them over to vile passions so that they started desecrating their own bodies and exchanging the real use and the proper use of their sexuality for that which is profane. Men sleeping with men, women sleeping with women. It is a result of the idolatry of the creature. And so the father says, take, take the money, here you go. And he goes, and the Bible says he went, took that money, and spent it on riotous living, friends and prostitutes, until the money finished. How many of you know that money finishes? Uh -huh. Your soul is forever, but money finishes. Okay? And so the money finished, and what he did as a Jewish boy, he, he went to find a job. The only job he could find is taking care of pigs. As a Jewish boy, that was completely, completely anathema. It's the end. It's the lowest point. Taking care of unclean animals. And then he was so hungry. There wasn't a food budget, a food allowance included in his salary. He was so hungry that he started eating the food of the pigs. And this is the picture of the lost. The lost is not out there having fun. It is sin with a pleasure for a season. The time is coming when destruction comes to us for its salary. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Don't ever think yourself to be at a disadvantage because you are saved. Then you are probably not saved. And so the lost son said, even in my father's house, the servants, the employees, are better taken care of than this. Let me go and let me ask for a contract. And then I will only be an employee so that I can have a salary, take care of my food and all of that. There's food budget, what, what, what. And then he decided to make his way to the father. The Bible says the father every day would come out of the house and look down the road and see if his son was on the way. The son that insulted him. The son that said, I can't wait for you to die. The son that said, give me money instead of family. And he would wait every day and he saw his son coming down the road. And what does the Bible say? The Bible doesn't say he said, there he comes. Prepare, the, prepare the, 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 the whipping post. This boy is going to learn today <laughs> what it means. Mm -mm. The Bible says that he did something which is culturally unacceptable. He ran in public. That's why I don't run so much. <laughs> anyway, and so he ran in public, lifting his skirts 
to the son that offended him. You see the heart of God. There are many of us who say, no, that sinner must go to hell. That will be due punishment for their sins. And you say, no, I'm not like that. I don't say that about uh, people that I'm reaching out. Yeah, but you might say that about a news story that you read about someone that committed murder or rape. You see? Tell your neighbor, every soul counts for God. And so he ran after, after the son. When he got there, the son had prepared a speech. He said, Father, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And as he was continuing his speech, the father stopped him and kissed him. He didn't take a bath, he's dirty. The father embraced him. And then he said, come quickly, put a new robe on my son. Put new shoes on, he, on his feet. Bring the signet ring, bring the, the, the credit card. No, God will not give you money if you waste it. Bring the credit card. What is he doing there? He is causing his love to transform the heart of the son. Don't you know that it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance, not the threatenings of God. And then he says, kill the fattened calf, the one that is only kept for when the king comes and visits. Kill the fattened calf. And the father said, let us celebrate and rejoice because my son who was lost is now now, this is the picture, Mega. If the son is coming down the road, right? And the father is on this side, running to meet him. This is what should be happening in the church. He should not be alone. He should be brought by the other guy. If by the time he still had money, the other guy met him and said, Mega, why are you living like this, my brother? Huh? Your father cares so much about you. Come, let us go home. Right? But the Bible says that he comes along. In fact, on his way here, many devils are there to stop him. Your father will kill you. Your father hates you. How can you come home? And what is, what is he supposed to tell him? No, your father loves you. Your father will accept you just the way that you are. Your father will invite you into his kingdom. Your father will restore you. Do you understand? And this is the role of you and I as the church. We are taking him by the hand and escorting him home. We are not bringing him something that is not good for him. We are bringing him back to the father. Maybe see. Amen. And this is the glory, this is the glory of those who are making evangelism their priority. There are days when those of us who are preachers are also feeling like, oh man, it's a weary day. But because of the value of one, we go. Some of us have said, no, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to rescue someone from damnation, eternal damnation. My, my Netflix show is too important. I need to catch up with the latest episodes. But God is calling his church to arise like a mighty force in the city to begin to take those who don't know Christ by the hand. 
whatever they need, whether it's a prophetic word, whether it's a, a, a financial help, whatever it is, do it for the sake of Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I've become all things to all men, so that peradventure I might save some. And some of you are listening to these stories and you are thinking, coins, sons, those are not things that I ship. Those are not things that if I lost them, I would care. What if you lost your cell phone? Right? You might be smiling now, but if I took your cell phone and I said, live for two weeks, many of us would not be able to. And this is the picture, that urgency that you get. Some, of, some actually say it's a, it's a kind of addiction. <laughs> when you feel anxiety. Where's my, where's my phone? <laughs> I put it right there. I put it right there. And God is asking us to have that sense of urgency that when we find our phone, we tell the whole house, I, I found my phone. Right? And this is the picture, that when we've done everything that we could in order to bring others to Christ, we then experience that joy with God. Ephesians 2 verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in this world. And tonight we'll deal a little bit more with who, who are the lost. Because sometimes in Namibia especially you meet people and you ask them, are you a Christian? And what will they say? Yes. Yes, with great pride and satisfaction. But do you know that among those Christians... There are many that are not serving Jesus. For example, their Jesus is an angel. You don't have time to go into the details. You find the atheist, you find the agnostic, the one who's not sure whether God exists. You find those false religions. You know, we, we spend so much time trying to look for false prophets among our own churches, and yet they are going without opposition among the names of cults. The hypocrite, he says he's a Christian, but he lives like the devil, or like the devil's brother. The unchurched, there are those who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, do you go to church? No, he's lost. He's lost. Because sometimes it's the enemy's ploy to stop you. No, this brother is already saved, leave him. <laughs> but the guy doesn't know Christ from a bar of soap. The undiscipled. The immature in Christ. All of these need to be brought into, into that place where they are fellowshipping with God. John 3 verse 3, Jesus speaking to a religious teacher. He says, I tell you the truth. Let's read this together. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus asked, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at that. You must be born How is it that the words of Jesus today have become the reason why people don't come to Christ. You tell them, do you want to be born again? No, I don't want born again. The devil has managed to reinterpret what it means to be born again to the point where people think that in their church, there's no requirement for being born again. 
I'm telling you, if you're in a church where there's no requirement to be born again, you are not going into the kingdom of God. There it is. Jesus said so. Revelations 20 verse 12. Let's read it together. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were And the man was which was the book of life. And the dead were There is a great day coming. And many of us think, no, Jesus is only coming in 2000 and whatever, and so I still have time. You can die tonight. You can die tonight. The question is, if you die tonight, are you sure about your, right, your righteousness before God? Are you sure about your place with God? You can say, oh God, I've gone to church all the times. It's not about church. It's about birth. Are you born again? Ask your neighbor, are you born again? Not just do you know all the church songs. <laughs> are you born again? Because you'll be singing those songs in hell. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Give us the next one, man. We need to wrap up. Let's read this together. For God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were Many of you, you've been in church long, you've never read the scripture. You stop at John 3.16. <laughs> There's good stuff at 17 and 18 and 19 and 20. And this is it. It says, everyone who, who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And some say, yeah, I believe in God. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Many people believe in God like demons believe in God. They believe in his existence, but that's not enough. Take us there to Romans. Because you might be saying, okay, okay, okay. I've got a heart. I've got a heart. Now, how do I lead my friend to Christ? If you are sitting at work and your friend comes to you and says, Mecca, I want to give my heart to Christ. I've heard you preach to me. Now I want to respond. What do I do? How do I do that? Most Christians don't know how. They'll say, that's awesome. Um, just give your life to Christ. <laughs> how? Um... Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. And we'll pray some general prayer. No. Let's read here. This is how you come into the kingdom of God. Romans 10 verse 9. It's, let's read together. If you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Stop. Two things. Openly 
declare that not quietly, openly declare. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? That he is God. It takes, to say Jesus is Lord is one thing. To say Jesus is God is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay? Jesus is Lord. And then secondly, you believe in your heart that what? Not that Jesus died for your sins. Because Jesus dying for your sins pays for your sins but doesn't bring you justification. What gives you justification is the resurrection. If Christ is not raised, then we are to be pitied of all men. We should go out and sin. But if Christ is raised, then you can know for sure that you are right with God. Let's read together. Verse 10. For it is that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. And then verse 13, for everyone in the name of the Lord will, but how? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So, you are, you are speaking with your friend. I must teach this. You are speaking with your friend. And now he's at the point where he's crying and he realizes that he's a sinner. I need God. And then... He says, okay, how, how, do I, how do I get right with God? Okay, so you now have to lead him in this process. Okay? Don't call the pastor. <laughs> Read your Bible. Romans 10. Okay? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was alive on earth before, 2,000 years ago? Yes, I do. Do you? Yes. Okay. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins like I preached to you? Do you believe that after three days he was raised from the dead? Yes, I do. Okay. On the basis of your confession, we are now going to pray together. And you will receive Christ into your heart. And you will declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is now your God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. <laughs> right there, quickly in the, in the boardroom while the next meeting is going to happen. Come into my heart, Lord. Be the Lord of my life. Something is happening. Why? Because the whole creation was created by what? Words. Words. Words are the transactional entities in the realm of the spirit. The witch doctors know it. They will make some, some kind of sacrifice and then start making all sorts of pronouncements. Curses. Right? And therefore these words, it says by your words you will be condemned and by your words you will be justified. Amen? Okay. Thank you, Mega. We are out of time. But I hope that this morning you understand that God has a desire to save your family, your friends. What must you do? Write their names in a, in a journal. All of them that you are trusting the Lord. All of them. Pray for them every day for opportunities. And then preach to them. Don't just live 
You see me? I'm washing the dishes. It's because I'm a Christian. You need to know about it. No, they will not see from your actions in order to get saved about Jesus. They will see your good deeds, praise your Father in heaven, but that will not save them. In order for them to get saved, they must hear the gospel. Amen? About Jesus and his sacrifice. Okay. Is there anyone here, you have not been born again, you have not given your life to Christ before, you have not made a public declaration, I want you to quickly raise your hand and will release the people and pray with you. Is there anyone like that here this morning? You hear, you hear in your heart, you hear the fact that you need to be born again. You've been in church maybe before, but you've never given your life to Christ before. And God is speaking to you this morning. Just wave your hand to me. I want to pray with you. Is there anyone like that? Quickly, is there anyone like that? I see that hand. Be bold, stand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Stand. You come to Christ in front of everyone. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? The Bible says, the Bible says that in front of every man, every man, if you reject Jesus before the Father and his angels, he will also reject you. Amen. But if you boldly come before everyone, you are not ashamed. You are not ashamed. You are coming to Christ because you need him. All of us need him. And this morning is the day of salvation for you. Amen? So I want us all to stand. The three of you, please come forward. Join me here. I want some leaders to join me here as well. Just come and join me and, and look at me here. Hold your hands like this. Heavenly Father, say, uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm here. I know I'm a sinner. I need you. This morning, I believe you died on the cross for me. And after three days, you became alive again. You are alive today. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I declare that you are my Lord and my God. From today, I receive eternal life. I receive the free gift of forgiveness. And from today, I am clean, washed from my sins. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.